order in the court. Right now on Award Winners, we're looking at how a law firm is driving business using client stories to create some of the most engaging brand podcasts you will ever hear. Worldwide, brands are engaging with customers through podcasts. These are the stories behind outstanding brand podcasts, so you can listen, learn, and be inspired by the best. These are the award winners from dustpod.io. With over 700 employees in 40 offices nationally, Shine Lawyers is one of Australia's leading law firms. They are a consumer-focused firm helping ordinary Australians across a range of compensation and other cases. Their senior media advisor is David Lewis. The story comes first and the firm comes second. That's how you get people in. People are more likely to think fondly about Shine Lawyers if we moved them, if they felt an emotional connection to our client, if they felt angry about an injustice, then we've succeeded. David joins us now to share how he handled very sensitive clients and stories to create a dramatic and award-winning brand podcast called Restitution. I started by asking David about his role, who he needs to market to and what the brand message is. Yeah, so I'm employed at Shine Lawyers as a senior media advisor, uh, which is a fancy name for publicist, essentially. So Shine Lawyers runs a lot of class actions. We're a plaintiff law firm. So we need to reach people in the community and let them know about their legal rights, especially when they may be entitled to compensation for personal injury or financial losses. So my job is essentially to get Shine Lawyers in the news as much as possible. And when you're trying to get Shine Lawyers onto the news and to get publicity, what's the message that you're trying to get across about the organisation? It's an indirect message insofar as most of the media we do is really client-focused. So we represent people who are often at their lowest ebb after something horrendous has happened to them. Um, So... Journalists are inherently attracted to those stories, particularly because they're harrowing, they're compelling. There's an element of conflict involved because we're suing somebody and trying to hold them to account. So that's usually the focus of the story. But I guess the the message insofar as Shine is concerned is that we're here to help. But many clients are motivated by recognition and acknowledgement they want the guilty party or the negligent party to apologise or in some way acknowledge what they have done to our clients. So uh, even getting a settlement or a court judgment in their favour is something that clients find healing. What's the competition like in this area? The competition is pretty fierce. Uh, Shine would be, I would say, in the top three personal injury law firms in Australia, um, our competitors, which I obviously will not name, um, <laughs> because Shine is, you know, the superior firm in my eyes, at least, are, are all operating nationally. So there are uh, smaller personal injury firms in each state and territory in Australia, but I'd say there are about three firms that operate nationally that are, you know, household names. What was it about podcasting that you went? This is a good medium for us. I think because podcasting is a way to reach niche audiences. So I come from a background in mainstream 
public broadcasting where you are dealing with a massive audience and your content has to have wide appeal as a consequence. But with podcasting, you can find entertainment and information about the most sort of niche things that only you and a few other people might be interested in. And for that reason, we thought that creating a podcast for Shine would allow us to reach not only our own staff, because we really wanted to share this project internally, but people who work within the law in Australia and overseas, as well as people who don't work in the law, but are interested in it. Uh, I remember when we were brainstorming the podcast, we wanted to appeal to people who might sit down and watch The Good Wife or Law and Order for entertainment. And we wanted to bring some real life court stories to the podcast to demonstrate that they're just as interesting, they're just as compelling, and the stakes are just as high. Hi, I'm David Lewis, and this is Restitution, a show about people who have been wronged and the lawyers trying to make it right. In 2012, the former Victorian Premier Ted Bailey formally apologised to women and children affected by the state's forced adoptions policies, under which young, unmarried women were deemed unfit mothers. To all of those harmed, we offer our heartfelt sympathy and apologise unreservedly. The following year, then Prime Minister Julia Gillard apologised on behalf of the federal government for forced adoptions that happened across Australia. For the loss, the grief, the disempowerment, the stigmatisation and the guilt, we say sorry. But until recently, these words weren't followed up with meaningful action. You'll hear from a lawyer shortly on why it's been so hard to secure compensation for affected mothers and children. But first, Joanna Davies shares her story of the search for her birth mother. Joe, when did you first learn that your adoptive mother wasn't your birth mother? When I was five. Wow, so you were quite young. Many of the stories on the Restitution podcast are very intimate or personal or have had a dramatic effect on someone's life. I asked David, how does he get clients to come and record their stories to be heard on the podcast? You raise a good point. It can be daunting um, to have a microphone placed in front of you and then that red light in the podcast studio starts flashing record. And, you know, we're dealing with people who in some cases have PTSD and the simple act, well, not so simple act of retelling their story can be re-traumatising potentially. So, yeah, some people were nervous, but I think they knew that it was a safe space. That was something I was really committed to conveying to them. You know, this was not a media outlet detached from Shine with its own agenda. This is a firm they've worked with that secured for them an outcome they wanted, and it was a sort of celebration of where we've come and where we're going. And so most clients got on board with that message. And how did you make the approach to them? How did you introduce it? Uh, It depends on the client. So some clients I reached out to without any introduction from their lawyer. So it's a bit of a cold calling scenario. And it's just about 
being completely transparent with people. You know, it's about being friendly. It's about explaining who you are, explaining what you're doing, explaining why you think they could make a valuable contribution to the podcast, why you think audiences would be interested in their story. And I did find that the clients, although the legal case had been and gone, were still profoundly impacted by it. And so many actually wanted to speak. So it was quite liberating, I think, for many of our clients to be able to tell their story in their own words, rather than through the rather clinical language that you find in a statement of claim or a court judgment. And uh, like you're a dab hand and you're well used to uh, audio equipment uh, and editing. Tell me about the the time commitment, commitment that was involved in that. Yeah, it's quite a big undertaking, especially when you're working full time and you still have to complete your daily tasks. So I can't just say, no, sorry, I'm in the podcast studio today. (laughs) I've still got to perform those duties. So I just sort of made it work, basically. It would basically take about a week of recording, possibly two, and then I would try to script an episode each week and send the script and all the audio to the editor to turn around within that week and then we move on to the next episode so all in all a couple of months probably three months per season so far still to come we'll hear the methods david used to launch and grow an audience how they measure the impact of the podcast and how he finds his boss embarrassing in a good way if you feel a brand podcast could work for you here are three simple things you can do today to get started One, visit our website to get more information and guides on how podcasts work specifically for brands, along with lots more examples of award-winning brand podcasts to inspire you. Two, you can call us with your questions and we're happy to help. Three, you could consider working with us, so you do all the fun stuff and we do everything else. Find that information on our website at dustpod.io. Award-winning podcasts all have to start with an episode one and build an audience from there. For Shine Lawyer's Restitution Podcast, David built his success by carefully targeting the audience he wanted to appeal to. We identified three uh, audiences, really. The first was our people. So we would announce the podcast on the intranet, on the Shine Lawyer's website. We uh, would distributing links of the podcast to our lawyers as well to listen to, encouraging them to share the podcast on social media, so primarily LinkedIn, in the hope of reaching law students, legal academics, barristers, solicitors and the like. If we felt that the story had some news value, perhaps we had revealed something new or discovered a development that hadn't been reported or placed on the public record before, then we'd prepare a press release and either pitch that to a journalist as an exclusive story or we'd distribute it far and wide and hope that it got picked up. So that was probably the exception rather than the rule. But we did do that on a number of occasions to pick up some external publicity. And then there's, of course, advertising. So We did, for season two, create some advertisements that were played on commercial radio in Australia. Was that effective, using paid advertising? You know what? I think it was 
no more effective than the organic push, to be honest. I mean, it, we did see a spike in listeners and it the advertising was aired at a time when we weren't promoting the podcast ourselves through our own means. So yeah, it was effective, but I think the spike was about as big as when we were actually directly reaching out to people we knew would be interested rather than casting the net wide. Have you tried any other uh, paid avenues like, you know, kind of uh, using social media or Google ads or putting ads into other podcasts? Yeah, we did use some social media posts. So I remember we did a few TikTok stories, I believe. I don't know for sure whether this was, you know, causal uh, link or not, but the episodes we did TikTok videos for were generally speaking the most downloaded. Did you use the stories that you were getting in the podcast to complement other formats, like, you know, kind of uh, blogs or website articles? Uh, you mentioned video as well. You've actually hit on a really crucial point. One of the sort of expectations of creating a podcast from within a company, I think, is that it's going to somehow be an extension of your advertising. So I worked really hard in the beginning to make sure that everybody understood and agreed with the approach, which was the story comes first and the firm comes second. Because no matter if you're, for example, a lover of Coca-Cola, you know, you, you drink it every day, you're probably still unlikely to listen to a Coca-Cola podcast just because it's a podcast by Coca-Cola. You know what I mean? There has to be a compelling story that makes someone want to listen. And that's how you get people in. And you've got to deliver on that promise. As you say, the advertising is almost indirect and it's a little, it, it's not in your face, I guess is what I'm trying to say. You know, people are more likely to think fondly about Shine Lawyers after listening to the podcast if we moved them, if they felt an emotional connection to our client, if they felt angry about an injustice, if they laughed, you know, if they got some sort of entertainment and information from the podcast, then we've succeeded. Uh, it's not about taking marketing slogans and jamming it down people's throats. So I think that's something that all companies and organisations uh, could benefit from doing. I, I couldn't, literally could not have said that better myself. You're absolutely right. Uh, the one thing that does come back, though, from, from those upstairs uh, is they're always looking for numbers. What numbers and how did it do? <laughs> Wreck your head. Uh, how did you measure the success of the, uh, of the podcast? Yeah, we definitely were not fussed about downloads. Once we achieved more downloads than we had employees, we considered that a success. You know, we, we, we figured everyone in the company has listened to it or, you know, a third of the people in the firm have listened to it three times or whatever it may be. So there wasn't any fixation on that, which was great. This was really about creating an origin story for Shine. The podcast was seen as a everlasting resource, really. So it's on our website for potential clients, for anyone who's interested. It's on our intranet for our staff, you know, the book and the podcast. It's part of our history. It's part of our storytelling culture, um, which we do have at Shine. 
And that was really what it was about, creating something that was of high quality that we could be proud of and that we could stand behind. So there's one thing about numbers and da-da-da-da-da, and then there's also um, the podcast can have an impact. Is there any particular story you can think of or any particular way that where the podcast has actually made a, a good impact for the firm? Yeah, I mean, I think that the podcast has informed people within the firm about some really incredible cases in the firm's history that they weren't previously aware of, both good and bad. One of the things I love about Shine is our managing director and CEO, Simon Morrison, has no qualms talking about failure. In fact, he would regularly tell a story about when he launched a class action against McDonald's and lost. And our class actions department leader at the time used to hate Simon telling the story. <laughs> she thought it was embarrassing. You know, we're trying to position ourselves as, you know, one of the best class action firms. As in the a country. winner. <laughs> exactly. Why would we, you talk about losing? Yeah. That's the opposite of what you should be doing. But Simon's advice to lawyers is to go to trial and lose. You'll become a better lawyer for having done that. I've spoken to class action lawyers at Shine who are embarrassed by this case and wish you would stop talking about it. Why do you speak about it? It's funny. I have heard that in the firm that at one point there was apparently a directive not to talk about this case because it involved a loss and you never talk about a loss. And I, I find that breathtaking. Um, when new lawyers join the firm, I often say to them, what I want you to do is take a case to trial and lose it. And, and they look at you like you're crazy. And the reasoning for that is you don't learn how to become a really good litigator until you've actually lost a trial. And any lawyer that says they've never lost a trial is not a lawyer that's actually taken risk for their clients. Internally, that was very well received. People thought it humanised our boss, that it gave them the courage to be bold in their litigation. And, and you know, other stories, when you're a part of a big organisation and you're really busy, often you don't know what your colleagues are getting up to. And when you listen to half an hour of, you know, interviews with a lawyer and a client and they're talking about the practice of forced adoptions and being reunited with their biological parents or they're talking about a client they were fighting for who became so sick with silicosis that they died before the case could be resolved and the lawyer was left to pick up the pieces. I mean, these are high-stakes situations that your colleagues are going through every day that you may not be aware of. So if anything, I think it's brought people closer and it's become a source of inspiration for our legal teams. And does it last long? Yeah, we still get downloads every day, um, which is encouraging. I mean, we release this everywhere we could. So Spotify, Apple, Google, and so on. And obviously the traffic spikes when we're releasing fresh content and promoting that content, but um, it's still bubbling away. So, you know, we're redesigning our website at the moment and they've created a page for the podcast. So the firm certainly intends to keep it around for as long as possible. As well as being uh, inspiration, do you think the podcast has won any new business for the firm? Yeah, absolutely. Um, a- anecdotally, you know, I've, I've heard that 
it, it has um, brought people in. It's also raised the profile of our lawyers in their particular field of expertise. And when we have when, when we do media with lawyers in general, um, that is often the result. And people will call, and they won't just say, "I want a lawyer" or "I need a lawyer." It's "I want Roger Singh" or "I want Lisa Flynn." So these people do develop a reputation that gathers momentum for sure. For, for anybody who is in kind of marketing and they're thinking about doing a podcast, what advice would you give? My advice would be to figure out what it is you want to say and then align that with an audience you think will want to hear that. First of all, if a marketing department is thinking about doing a podcast, the first thing that department should do is reach out to an organisation or an individual that has experience in storytelling. Um, because podcasting is a very different beast to marketing. So, you know, this, it's no accident that there's been a proliferation of private businesses that are basically working with corporations to create podcasts because, you know, you need someone who knows how to tell a story, who knows how to construct a narrative, who, who isn't so institutionalised that they can't spot what, you know, Joe Blow down the down in the local pub would be interested in, you know, unless, of course, you're not doing the podcast for the mainstream audience, which goes back to my original point. You really need to know, like, who is going to listen to this thing and why are we doing it? Are we doing it because our competitors are doing it and we thought it would be cool because that's a pretty crappy reason to do a podcast? Or are we doing it because we've actually got so much amazing advice or information or stories to share that we can hardly help ourselves, which is definitely how I felt. You know, every time every time I spoke to leaders at Chine who'd been with the firm for a while and they shared one of these cases with me or a story of a huge success or a humiliating failure, I struggled to keep it to myself. So, you know, you really need to have that passion and that justification for doing it. Listen, David, thank you so much for sharing so much with us. Absolutely fascinating. Thank you. Thanks, Sussie. If you want to hear a world-class example of brand podcasting, I highly recommend you try Shine Lawyer's Restitution Podcast. You'll find links to it in the description area of this podcast episode on your player right now. My thanks again to David for sharing with us how the podcast is creating such a solid connection and engagement with new clients and some of the clever techniques he's used to make it a success. If you are considering a podcast for your company or brand, you'll find some great resources on our website at dustpod.io. If you like, you can also arrange a complimentary call to see how a podcast could work for your brand specifically. Or you could consider working with us so you get to do the fun stuff and we do everything else. Until our next Award Winners podcast from myself, Dusty Rhodes, thank you for listening. The Award Winners is a DustPod production from dustpod.io. 